0: This podcast is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off your order, or also use BROKENSILICON to get 25% off all Windows software at CDKeyOffer.com, or use shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. We'll say more about these sponsors later, but for now, let's get on with the show. To Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I'm actually um, doing a, an episode that. Well, I guess first of all, this is being recorded uh, maybe a week to a little over a week before it comes out. When you're listening to this, I'll actually be on vacation. But this guest was someone who I had been talking to for a little bit before we started uh, confirming that we wanted to do an episode, just because. You reached out to me about how, in the professional laptop space, it's basically the same situation as what gamers are dealing with with VRAM right now. And it made, I just thought it would make for an interesting episode to record before I go on vacation and then release, then, because it really set, drills in even more on how there really just seems to be a fundamental stagnation in RAM capacity all of a sudden that isn't just affecting gamers, isn't just about optimization. It's affecting everyone. And a lot of industries have been taken aback by suddenly VRAM not going up, right? I mean, is that? please introduce yourself and tell people what you do.
1: Well, hi, yes, my name is Brad Medlin. Uh, I get to have all of the fun. Um, My title might not say it, but for lack of a better word, I manage a group of metrology engineers. the first question we always get about that is what the heck is metrology. Um, and no, it is not the prediction of the weather,
0: even though that's what everyone thinks. <laughs> I'm going to level with you. And I first saw that I think Dan was around and I was like, Oh, I think this person uses computers for weather. I will be honest with you. That is what I thought the first time I saw that. I obviously even thought that for a while now, but that is what I thought. It's, it's something that happens more often
1: than you'd be, you'd be really surprised how often we get the question, but Especially when you work for a utility, because they go, all right, you're working for a utility. What, What's the utility care about the weather for? But realistically, it's just the science of measurement. So it's, it's really hyper accurately building, you know, 3D models using reality capture software and basically putting the real world to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the easiest way to, to describe it. I, mean, I do a lot of work in the nuclear industry, so get to go and see and lay my hands and Put
0: my butt up against things that not a lot of people have got to do in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, that's that that, that must at least make it fun and interesting from the perspective of just not only do you get to play with computer hardware, but you like get to see massive engineering accomplishments and close up, right? You get to do Uh, both of those things, and it's it's a lot more fun than a lot of other jobs would be, I think. Oh, it's, it's a blast too. I mean, most people don't really recognize it or realize
1: it, but like the things that we've done and seen and, and been a part of, uh, you know, some small projects, you know, maybe small to us, you know, when we're thinking about it outside in the real world, but in the, in the actual industry, some of the stuff that we're doing is, is massively funded for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars just to, to make a small change out of a couple of pumps and piping. Mm-hmm. But th- because when you're working in the nuclear industry, you have to be hypersensitive to what's going on. I was going to say it's it's got to be correct,
0: mm-hmm. accurate, and done right the first time. Mm-hmm. But so to um, th- you know, this is where I will also, for safety reasons, say your thoughts are your own, not the company you work for. It doesn't really matter. This isn't really about the company you work for. But you do work for a major energy company in the United States. But for the purposes of the listeners. You are one of those people that goes into the field and mega scans an environment to then be modeled and move things around in real time, which is really a technology we just couldn't do not not that long ago and has made both video games look more realistic and cool. Probably save people a lot of time because instead of having a bunch of low level artists in a game, spent, dozens of them spend time placing rocks and trees everywhere, now you just mega scan an environment maybe combine that a bit with randomly generation random generation based on mega scan environments and go okay is this look like what we could do for this scene close enough it looks almost photorealistic but you know maybe it's technically this one thing in iceland we're using in death stranding but it looks like what it should unless you're in the local village that knows that mountain is that mountain it's not going to bother anybody you know and um it's really revolutionized not just gaming, though, right? But the exact same practices have revolutionized, Oh, well, really the all engineering fields, I imagine. Even
1: video production, you'd be amazed. Some of the stuff that, like, uh, LucasArts and whatnot does now. Oh, yeah. That, that one's kind of been, they've kind of intrigued me with their use of the case and how they take care of bringing the environment into a smaller area rather than having to take somebody out to Iceland, for example. But they can put them in a room and put a bunch of
0: screens around them, and you wouldn't even know it. Yeah, you know. And then the fascinating thing is, like, and that is something that a realization I've sl- I've come to this year is that it's not just video games, it's not just movies and TV shows, it- it's not just engineering. It's also it's, it's it's like literally everything now. Like I've even heard about like governments using Unreal Engine five to simulate combat scenarios just because. We might as well use Unreal Engine 5 to simulate tank battles. And so why would we, you know, it's it's crazy. To just think of how this really is becoming just the, Unreal Engine 5 is just the simulation sandbox standard. It, gaming, I almost wonder if gaming will probably always be the biggest revenue source, but you never know. Maybe it won't be someday.
1: Well, I, and some of the things like Twin Motion and some of those other plugins that have been coming out that basically take that, that CAD environment, that, that 3D CAD environment, just direct drop it in. It makes the process so much easier for us, but also for the actual folks in the field using it. That's kind of what's kind of crazy to me to think about is that it's it's such a simplistic transition
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and, and extremely helpful for everybody, too yeah so clean sweep writes in and he asks what are the challenges of using a desktop replacement laptop for mega scanning in the field obviously battery life and charging are going to be more difficult i guess but do you think laptop cooling design CPU gpu interconnects os software configurations also affect your workload or really how do do they and would mega apu based laptops actually tangibly help solve any of these issues immediately in your opinion Personally, ab- absolutely. I mean, anytime you can eliminate
1: an additional heat source one and then also be able to take that and kind of pair the power settings down and have maybe a more balanced power setting output, uh, it's huge. The, the options and, and opportunities that could come from that would just be great. Um, comically, the thing that I like to tell people though is when you think about it, because with, with our laptops and the way we do things, we kind of deal with them. You know, I love the term mega scanning because it, it, it really – gives you the grandiose of what we do and the the total aspect of it but laptop-based work that we deal with is really dealt more in like chunks of the entire picture Mm -hmm. and then you bring all that back and put it on you know a server-grade component setup and then that's where you're doing all your final composition compiling and so you know when we start talking about ram and ram in that sense i mean we've got rigs right now that are on procurement for you know two terabytes just Mm -hmm. in ram and, you know, we have machines that have over a terabyte already and things like that. That's for those that's for taking all those small chunks that you do every day, every couple of days, and you're compiling in the field. And then you come back to the office and kind of compile it all that way, too. So it's it's really a unique use case for them. And anytime time we can cut down on being able to actually access and have access to the actual equipment longer throughout the day mm-hmm. is that that's our thing is if you limit yourself by being tethered to a wall cuz i mean you got to think about the laptops that are out there right now the, the the bigger thicker ones that are available even in the best of scenarios you might get 2
0: hours without tethering to a wall somewhere that was going to be my question like how much are you actually using battery life and, and and you know actually I'll throw this at you too like right now so i used to have an hp nv13t it had this is of course back when that was decent it had a quad core 8 thread whiskey lake uh, CPU and then it had an MX250, and that wasn't great, but it was enough that I could render edit on the go. And because technically it was like a 15 watt GPU and a 15 watt mm-hmm. CPU, not only could it maybe do intensive stuff for four hours, but I had a portable, you know, 99.9 kilowatt hour battery that could actually plug in with the three-prong charger and keep it going another five hours or something you know and now i have a 2060 comet lake laptop that i've had for almost four, four years now actually and it can't use that extra battery so not only now is my battery life gone from like 12 hours to eight uh but it's also means i can't i, I remember when i was at hot chips in 2019 i yeah i i, I started to editing a video while watching a presentation and then started it rendering what was plugged into the battery in my side bag while I walked to the next presentation. It's like my battery life's really been cut down in a third, and I can't really game on the battery at all. So it's really a, a huge... Now, back then, that allowed me to like edit like I have a desktop in a hotel room. So yeah. There's a reason I went to the 2060 laptop, especially because it was a good deal. But moving forward, I almost think I just want more RAM, more battery life, and Maybe slightly more performance in an APU. I really don't actually need more performance when I'm playing Battlefield 2042. I kind of have to use low settings anyways because it has sixteen, it only has six gigabytes of VRAM. So I'm not going to be using ultra settings.
1: A <laughs> lot, lot of limits there, and and comically to me, you know, the whole battery life conversation. We've built portable rigs where we put APUs, you know, um, the battery backup APUs, where and those things are not light
0: and so Mm -hmm. we're toting those around when you say apu is that what does that stand for uh like the apc um auxiliary power units i was gonna say because when you say apu here people are gonna think of like Uh, (laughs) i just i I assumed you meant that but but so you have portable desktops with giant batteries that power them too right basically yes
1: and so basically the 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 setups that we've had to do and and you know i kind of mentioned it when we were talking about it ahead of time we started out on Sandy bridge whenever the team really got stood up and going internally. And Mm -hmm. those, those desktops that we had, I mean, Sandy bridge E, so they had eight cores and eight threads and obviously were not very highly clocked. And then, you know, Comet Lake came around and we could get an eight core or coffee, like I should say, came around and we could get an eight core, eight thread laptop that basically outperformed. And so, Mm We were like, okay, so now we can actually be a little more mobile. Granted, it's a battery that's not gonna give us six hours of battery life, but you're not not—you're no longer going from location to location Are you toting around a
0: desktop. But I've seen those auxiliary power units. I, there was a couple, I've never secured an ad for, ad for this, but a couple of advertisers reached out to me like a year ago about them. And I, That's when I looked into them and they're like huge. They're these giant things. So if you're using a Sandy Bridge desktop, you're carrying basically two desktops and one of them is extra heavy. yes it's gonna it's literally going to slow you down just because it's going to slow you down like moving around and
1: and, i mean we actually have a one of our underwater scanners is kind of unique and interesting it has a the junk of a system but because it needs to be mobile and portable enough to move around the system's actually built in a pelican case and feels like a laptop because when you open it up there's an actual like 19 inch Mm monitor sitting like they bolted in yeah. so it doesn't fall it's it's weird looking and it's got the power k1 power cable to power everything it's it's really weird but it's like if you think about it now because it was a Skylake based you know and four core eight thread machine realistically you could have put that in a laptop now and ran everything 10 times better mm-hmm. but you know it's the case for having all your little uh controls and whatnot that you have to have to operate certain things underwater and it's just a
0: it's a crazy thing to deal with sometimes and crazy thing to use. Well, so how much battery life would you get out of those Sandy bridge desktops with that power unit with it?
1: So most of the 1500 millivolt amp, uh, like APC okay. type devices give you about 900 watt hours. Um, and so realistically we could get two hours on those. I was going to say, but that's, yeah, it's about two hours though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to give you the reference now, uh, on the i9 desktop that I have hooked into this right now with two monitors and uh, the backup hard drive systems that I've got, I'm pulling 308 watts. So I've mm-hmm. basically got about 20 minutes of battery life if it died right now. I mean, they, Sandy Bridge actually was pretty efficient for what we were doing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard yeah. to think back and go 125 watt, you know, eight core CPUs was impressive for a desktop, but kind of was.
0: Well, well, you know, that was a question I was going to ask you. What has it been like to watch this climb in usability from laptops? Because I remember 15 years ago, which is maybe slightly before you're talking about with Sandy Bridge, but this Mm -hmm. was like 2009, the last big laptop I ever even let myself get. It was like an 18.5 inch, you know, it had a 1080p screen, which was decent for 2009 in oh, yeah. uh, a laptop actually it looked great it actually had a very nice screen in my opinion to this day but and it, it had a two core that would uh you know sometimes it, it did i just sent it in for repair it melted the top of the laptop and had 45 minutes of battery life and now yeah. i mean you can get laptops that perform kind of like a desktop and it's you know thinner than this notepad i've got it there's almost as thin as this notepad i have here it, it's crazy where we've gone in 15 years It is. The one thing that gets me to this day is the trade-offs that we're making.
1: So, Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's all about heat dissipation. I mean, you can always put a more efficient battery or a more efficient processor and things to make it last a little bit longer. But like, uh, for example, some of the issues that I found when I was first working with our first Alder Lake, uh, you know, I-9 laptops was that, they, they the decisions that were made you know in a boardroom somewhere else where we want to go you know instead of going all right let's let's cool this thing properly let's be smart it's okay let's make this as thin as possible so that people still think it's something close to a thin and light type design even though if you carry that thing around on your back for 12 hours you're gonna know it ain't it ain't that
0: mm-hmm yeah, some is, of them are pretty heavy for how thin they are oh, oh God.
1: i tote one down oh i tote one around daily Mm-hmm. I have I have uh, employees and coworkers that look at me and go, "Do you not have back problems carrying all that stuff around in the back?" I'm,
0: I'm just used to it at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, this brings me to a question though. bfish Fish writes in and he asks, "Hello, Tom and guest Something I've always wanted to know is how big is too big for a modern desktop replacement laptop? In your opinion, what would really stop you? Someone who's who Tom told us actually uses desktop replacements professionally with a 20-inch stop of you, 24-inch. And also, do you actually use 17.3 or 18-inch laptops? So I guess the answer is probably yes on that. But the current design we have, the 7780s that we utilize, and then I've worked with
1: some of the the P16s from Lenovo as well. I actually like the 16-inch form factor, the, the slightly taller screen, mm-hmm. um, which I guess would kind of hand itself to if it was an 18-inch laptop. But the general consensus for what we use is we use a 17 and 17.3 inch laptop just because if you're using it and you are doubling it as like a secondary screen, 17 inches is kind of the, mm-hmm. you know, you can at least scale the desktop a little bit better for yourself to, visually, yeah. able to visualize it. It's just kind of the things that we've seen it and it's, you get more options in the larger chassis. Um, yeah. The smaller chassis kind of limits you a little bit.
0: Is there a cutoff where you, I mean, and you're kind of the wrong person to ask because you've literally carried around (laughs) external 1000 kilowatt hour batteries with you know whatever like but like what would there be a limit for your team would you like because because one of the things we're going to talk about is you told me that you're considering going back to those desktops because of what's going on with laptops right now but would a 24 inch make you stop or could it get almost Would 32 inch basically be the limit for you specifically
1: Seventeens as much as I'll do.
0: I mean, okay. if the, if there was an
1: eighteen inch, squ- you know, more squared design, like a slightly larger version of those sixteen see, inch yeah. ones, we might make that consideration. But the the seventeen inch design, it's basically it's if you get up over that, you can't put it in a backpack.
0: I was going to say the limit's probably a backpack, right? Because if it doesn't fit in a backpack, you might as well just have a small desktop. Uh, it, and it's easier
1: to just put it on like a, a buy the Apple. <laughs>
0: rollers and roll it around that way if you have to Mm -hmm. uh let's get into the main discussion topic though that we brought you here for today when did the ram issues that you've told me you know were really making you can that are so bad in laptop according to you that you're considering going back to these like ridiculous lap like desktop plus external power setups when did the issues really start popping up that you were like maybe we should just go back to that
1: well, it was kind of, honestly, Cascade Lake, right after Cascade Lake came out, and then uh, the Zen 2-based Threadripper designs uh, really started making those considerations more, mainly because as you start looking at the the GPUs in, involved, and, and what's kind of funny to me is if you go all the way back to, to Pascal, the mm. laptop Pascal cards that were in the, the range that we usually go by They've all had 16 gigs of eRAM, and hmm. while we've gotten a little bit more performance out of them by by having you know faster memory, the bandwidth's a little better, so it, they feel more performant because of the extra bandwidth. The problem that we've lost is that we can't really increase in were size. They, were they scope. Pascal
0: five thousands in a laptop?
1: Yeah, yeah, they, okay. they did it in the P five thousand mobile version. It, it was kind of something that that you can trace back
0: a little bit too. the. Yeah, it had 16 gigabytes of RAM. That's crazy. So you're saying they really haven't increased RAM since Pascal. Yep, and not it's, in the mobile form. It's basically the same as gaming on desktop. That's just so funny to me. Since and, and, Pascal. Yeah, and it's it's not something that I foreseeably
1: could predict or say or, or know with, it, with any certainty is going to change in the next two to three years. Mm-hmm. I feel like they just... Part of it, I think, is maybe you know you have to get the you have to be able to shrink the die of the actual memory to be able to make that smaller or put more on a singular die to contain it within like an MXM type card or something like that to grow that space. You're kind, I think, you're kind of space constrained for more than sixteen gigs, really, on a on a laptop, um, which is sad because I mean desktop parts are making such a transition now to where you know. 32 gigs, for example, in in AMD's most recent upper mid-range, you know, not top of the line, but the one right below it, you're now at 32 gigs for a a desktop card. So you're Mm -hmm. doubling that for the card that's going to cost you the same price as the laptop card.
0: While you were talking, I was actually pulling up something here and trying to look into, because, you know, if you go to NVIDIA's website, they have tiers of uh, what... Type of graphics card you have for professional work and their words are very buzzwordy Uh, Mm -hmm. they have creative maestro and then creative powerhouse the best creative powerhouse laptop cards is the rtx 5000 at a laptop gpu and and what i'm trying to look up here uh laptop 5000 at a like if i look at a picture of it Cause you were, cause there is to a certain extent, cause I've, I've discussed this with NVIDIA people to a certain extent, there definitely is this issue of, um, you know, can we fit enough Ram modules on there? You know, that's what's holding us back, but there will be a link in the description for everybody. I have, uh, the Quadro P 5000 you're talking about. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Ram modules on there. So, I don't see why they don't just do that again in laptop. And I've heard they want to keep buses small to limit the number of RAM modules, but they seem, the NVIDIA people I talked to, I don't know if they forgot or they just miscalculated what was going to happen that, yeah, I mean, you're making it smaller, but like we were fine with laptops with eight RAM modules before they weren't too big. And now all of our apps can't fit into any of these graphics cards anymore.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a it's a bottleneck for us. Um because if you want to work with those, like I said, when you're working with slices in the in the laptop space to do things, whether it's in the field or once you're back in the office, and you know not everybody has the availability to go and use a massive desktop, so you kind of have to pick and choose your your battles there. So if you're working in those smaller slices, mm-hmm. one of the things that we kind of have to balance and and work out as a uh, you know as a team of and a group of folks is that we want to you know. How do you best cut something down, but still have the right amount of overlap when you're Mm -hmm. building out the whole massive production? You know, uh, example I, I I like to give just kind of referencing the gaming industry. So like, say you're building a a stadium for FIFA and, you know, one person's working the field and then one section of the actual stadium. Okay. Well, if you got somebody else who's working the field in the next part of the stadium, where's that overlap going to be in the corner? And if mm-hmm. you don't have those pieces that right and lined up perfectly, then you sometimes end up with some funky looking models, funky mm-hmm. looking, you know, polygons and setups for people.
0: Most yeah, of tolerate it. And, you know, it's funny, um, you know, now I've seen announcements of like these. I don't remember. I think there's a couple OEMs making 19 inch laptops again all of a sudden. I don't understand. We can fit, you know, we have 48 gigabyte graphics cards on desktop. I understand you might have to clamshell or add a couple more module slots on the board for the laptop, but actually laptops aren't really getting any smaller anymore. Why can't you fit this? (laughs) And I, 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 you know, we're kind of dancing around it, but I I honestly really think that a lot of this comes down to they just, uh, they just didn't really think some people would need it on the one hand and they want the next gen to feel like a bigger upgrade. Uh, I will say though, people I talked to at Nvidia did think higher density RAM would be on the market by now, and they are mad it's not. So some of this was them us making an assumption that Micron and Samsung would everyone would be ready, and now they've been told they won't be maybe for another two years. And you know that was a miscalculation there then.
1: And I'm trying to remember. I just saw where one of them it was Micron or Crucial, which is the same company. Why I'm saying that Micron or uh, SK Hynix had just hit a new density measure for theirs but like i said you're still in scale out now you, you're not even close to production mm-hmm. and and you know to me what's kind of i guess when i and and when you kind of compare it back to the gaming side of things like in laptop basically you're on parity. so mm-hmm. it's like okay if you're looking at a 17 inch laptop you could go and buy an amd or a, or an intel rig and then put in a 4090 and if you've got the studio drivers Mm-hmm. Which I don't, still don't quite understand the difference, but they do give some, some more validity to the way you use that card in a professional workload. Kind of more like mm-hmm. the prosumer type thing, almost like the Titan in the real world. But um, it's you start to use those kind of cards and those kind of laptops, and you really end up seeing that there's just a, there's a myth for some reason. There's there's some kind of a. A miss there that they're going okay we're going to put the same exact card here and from a sales perspective it it's almost really hard to be able to say all right i need to go buy this precision line from dell or this msi titan line is basically you know two thousand dollars cheaper and the same parts and almost the same drivers now
0: Ever feel like a dog chasing its tail as you scour dozens of eBay postings and CD websites looking for a safe way to get reasonably priced Microsoft software? Well, you don't have to do that. Just go to CDKeyOffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by CDKeyOffer.com that offers both Microsoft operating systems, office products, select games, and even some gaming hardware peripherals for reasonable prices and you know they've been a sponsor of moore's laws dead and the entire team here for years for a reason they've been good to me they've been good to dan they've been good to dozens of me and dan's family members and friends for years now and they've also been good to the moore's law is dead community so whether you're looking for steam ea UPlay, play or playstation keys or of course microsoft products or gaming peripherals, support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products and Die Shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting one of our best long-term sponsors, CDKeyOffer.com today. Well, that's kind of happening with laptops in general. I mean, on desktop, as overpriced as a lot of the graphics cards are, you've got Ga one o three being called a forty eighty, and it's twelve hundred dollars. And meanwhile, in laptop, the laptop forty ninety is only really appearing in three thousand dollar or up laptops. Um, and and I and some of the cheapest laptops with the forty ninety I've seen uh, have like one hour battery life. So they skimped on a lot of parts. Like if you want a nice one, it's really like four thousand or more. So. It becomes this thing where it's like, well, I, I'm sure that you're double dealing with this. You're trying to explain to purchasing. Yeah, I'm not going to get this $3,000 desktop. I'm going to, for some reason, get this $6,000 laptop that's half the performance. And, oh, wait, it doesn't even have a, a battery life I can use anymore, right? Exactly, it, 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 which is why we've come back full circle to
1: the point of that's why we're looking more back at desktops now. Mm-hmm. Um, and And the comical thing is the CPU performance gap once again, because of thermal headroom and thermal constraints, it's making that that desktop move. Mm. But, well, and I guess I should preface it with this with desktops before we weren't looking at consumer grade parts. We were looking at workstation or HEDT HEDT type parts for the, the purest of reasons being you got the extra PCI Express lanes. Mm. You had the ability to add extra storage. Um, sat, which, of course, back then for us, sat, you had a lot more SATA ports to work with. Um, you had a lot more drive storage to work with. I really ought to pull it out and laugh at it because I do actually have my old Lenovo D30s that we built and used, and the Sandy Bridge Classics. And when you go and look at those and then you look at the stuff that we've got now, it's like, where did we go wrong to understand that you know we, we lost HEDT for the longest time? Mm-hmm. It's kind of been the sad thing that i'm kind of at a myth with amd as to why we've we've kind of lost that that middle ground red river had so much potential Mm -hmm. to especially when myself and a lot of us back over um there were just a couple of little little quirks here that we were starting to work through and and starting to get programming built for because the thing is when you get into the professional side of things when drivers have to be perfected when you know if you're missing a certain codec or, or a certain uh you know avx 512 for example if you're missing a certain instruction set it it makes a difference in your software and how that software runs not by a factor of of you know minutes but by potentially hours mm-hmm. um and so that kind of thing is like all right well if we go back to desktop now we don't have this middle ground where a no, lot I see. of so that's making built-
0: you think twice now about going back to desktop though is until like a Zen 4 thread ripper is ready you're kind of going ah. but now we're not getting that benefit either yeah Th- and there's not even a workstation Zen 4 thread ripper ready yet so there is Zen 3 obviously but do you really want to buy that for your team knowing Zen 4 thread is probably less than a year away and i i'll find out soon enough because
1: i've got one to compare it to but I'm pretty certain that a 24 core in our workloads, keep in mind our workloads are not sure. everybody, but a 24 core Intel CPU is probably going to do better than a 64 core zen three one. You like mean said, like
0: Sapphire Rapids or? Yeah.
1: Okay. Like a Sapphire Rapids 24 core is going to meet and or exceed our, our needs for something like that, which is nice because it's kind of a middle ground. I, I mean, I, I still miss the actual old core X series. I, am, I don't know if you can see the actual pox I have. Behind I me. see them, but I missed that thought process because it was more for the masses and more for testing. And and when more people adopt something in that range,
2: mm-hmm.
1: then you have the software developers that develop more for it because it's not develop. You're not developing for that CPU mm. because it's just you know, ten thousand you know pros. You've got. 150. Yeah, that
0: probably made a huge difference, right? Because not only did Threadripper up core counts in HEDT, but it was cheap enough that everyone, even people, for <laughs> being honest, who probably didn't need it, but could afford it now, so they bought it. Bought it, and then developers were like, actually, a ton of people have sixteen and thirty-two cores now. We might as well make the apps work well on it. I was actually getting ready to say what because I'm trying to remember.
1: Wasn't the difference? Wasn't like the thirty-two core, the Zen one, is uh, it Zen Plus? I guess mm-hmm. wasn't that right? Just around a thousand dollars then too. No, that that one was two grand. Uh, well, uh, yeah. So it's two grand compared to the 32 core 18th. was two grand. Yeah, yeah. Com- the thirty-two core compared to the eighteen core, you know, mm. Intel. But I mean, okay. So if you are doing two two grand to two grand, you know, apples to apples. Yeah, that's still you know, should people do that? No, but it is. Are there a lot more people that have, especially back then? I would say expendable budgets and and you know, disposable incomes that could actually make it work.
0: Eh, Yeah, I think so. Well, and you know, why is AMD doing this? I actually do think I have the answer. I mean, number one, it's all about Epic market share, and they don't feel like Intel's really challenging them in HEDT right now. They still don't because they have, I I think they might even have Zen 3 with Vcash workstation thread rippers i believe by now i could be wrong uh oh wait no i don't think they do uh, they just have basically like 64 core well now that i said it though i have to look it up or everyone will <laughs> yell at me in the comments right that's i don't think one. that's true actually i think, think i was I, I think i'm even maybe forgetting that i leaked I was one of the first people to leak that it wasn't coming to thread ripper um Which is but yeah sad. no it doesn't but so yeah i, I almost made a guys i'm covering like 30 different architectures here that are five years apart give me a break but oh it's it's a struggle but but no so still though amd sees that they have 64 zen three cores and they're like is this even really worse than sapphire rapids i mean it is but is it we've we've got it on the market it's widely available it's the top chip that we have is cheaper and people are still buying it so you know i think that's what amd's thinking is on the one hand and on the other though it's not just that they want to take epic market share Well, they think they can ignore hedt from what i've heard and i did hear this from a lot of my sources like like guys i leak to you what i think gamers are interested in hearing i don't tell you everything behind the scenes like one of those things i'd always hear is amd has like you know 12 week or more lead times it's ridiculous or something and and and, and these long lead times would make people sometimes choose intel if they're like we'll get you a Xeon in a month. AMD says you're going to have to wait all summer. By then, maybe new stuff will be out. That seems silly. And AMD wants to improve that with Genoa. They want, and Turin, and they want to get it to where they can get to Intel lead times. And then they'll worry about handling Threadripper. And a lot of that is just having enough people to handle everything at once. So at the same time, though, some people I talk to now think they may have made a real mistake here. And all I can say is, unfortunately, I know there's rumors that Zen 4th Red Ripper is coming soon. Who knows? Maybe it'll be announced when this podcast episode comes out and I'll sound stupid. But um, I, I'm sure you talked to some of these people. I, I guess you shouldn't say anything that's restricted, but it kind of, to me, sounds like it's still at the end of this year at best case and maybe early next year.
1: And, and the thing that kills me about that is that it's, I, if it is, the, if
0: that's the case, I mean, I, I'd love to sure. see it
1: sooner than later.
0: And let's be um, clear, if they wanted to, I think they could probably do it quarter three if they wanted to, but they'd actually probably have to make the decision right now if they were going to do it.
1: Yeah, because you'd have to start packaging everything up and getting it ready to rock and roll. But like mm-hmm. to me, it's even if it even if it did hit quarter three, because I mean, and, and having gone back and done the tests side by side to see, you know, which was shocking to blow my mind still to this day to see an 18 core Intel Cascade Lake CPU back then competing and sometimes beating. The 32 core thread ripper, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, that was kind of that point in time when I started having to stop and say, All right, I got to start asking questions to the right people. Because if we're gonna go spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on new desktops or you know, thousands of dollars on new laptops as we're doing this, I need to make sure that our software is optimized. And
0: which was a big thing with Zen Plus. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit less of a thing now. It,
1: and like I said, to me, it's even now, oh no those thirty two core thread rivers were Zen uh sent two that, oh, was the, a, that had that that happened okay there was a thirty nine ninety and the uh thirty nine not 3990, 3970 and a thirty nine seventy five w x both of them were neck and neck like I said at this point, the only explanation that I could get out of the felt like hundreds of different of different people between my software vendors and hardware vendors that we worked with. The only answer I could get was well, you know. Red Ripper doesn't have AVX 512. It's got this double wide buffer, but it's just not keeping up. And I'm like, there that were still some sense. latency
0: penalties with Zen two that have been ironed out more and more with Zen three and Zen four though, too. That's true. I could yeah. see a very specifically written application not functioning perfectly there.
1: And I always tend to tell people whenever I go from a hardware perspective for purchase that, that my thing is not always going to be, I don't want to buy the best. Mm-hmm. I don't need a 60 core or 64 core, you know, machine i need something that's going to balance both you know cost to me but also return on investment to me so that I'm, I'm maximizing the time but i'm also not i want something that for lack of a better word when i tell it to run i don't want it to run and start at four in the afternoon and then by 8 p.m it's done i'd rather it go to two or three in the morning and actually maximize my my use case of it um while also being a slight a little bit more efficient hopefully Um, it's like I said, to me, it's from a hardware perspective. That's why like five to 5,000 class. And then like the 7,800 type class GPUs are where we like to go is because it was bang for the buck. Mm -hmm. Um, if I can save, you know, $10,000 by not going to the top of the top on both ends of those, that's, that's another head to be putting back to work and going and doing more work in the field, you know? Well, so
0: speaking of the issues of work in the field though i do want to round back to the original Mm -hmm. conversation and ask this dino 999 writes and he says on the topic of vram how limiting is it to not have enough as a professional for gamers the negative is typically that you just need to turn down settings or go to a really low resolution but what settings do you turn down uh, to an equivalent to someone using one of these cards out there and how bad does having RAM constraints hurt the professional space and your professionals around it right now? That's actually a fun and and Because I'm curious, answer. like what actually holds you back? Like you go in the field, you go to do a scan. Has is something happening now where problems are popping up because of it? So it's like the, it's always the back
1: end work. The back end when you're actually putting it all and compiling it. So the less that you have available, um, the easiest example I can give is is the RAM. you know, I'll start with RAM, then I'll go to VRAM. So from the RAM perspective, you can only handle so many individual 3D scans for a certain amount of RAM. So, I always like to use the number, if you got 128 gigs of RAM, 100 scans in the field for the software that we work with, that's your limiting factor, right? Now, the VRAM perspective, it kind of bounces back to the opposite side of this, which is when you're actually working with that file, so when all that's processed, it's a bunch of it's hundreds of millions and billions of individual points in space that you're working with. And then the the mesh uh, you know, explanation is hundreds of millions of triangles in space. So when you're working with those two things and you're bringing them in to actually start your modeling process, the VRAM cap, it's not quite what I would call a hard cap, but it's a very mm-hmm. close cap. So, for example, with 16 gigs of VRAM, I can fluidly use about 450 million points active at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I can manipulate, move around within the cloud, fly through it, and not have any problems. Uh, with 48 gigs of ERAM, for example, I can bring up almost 2 billion. Mm-hmm. It scales differently, too. Right. Um, but on top of that, so like when you hit that hard cap, for example, and you start to work with it, the amount of...
0: You, their software just crashes. It, it'd be... I was going to say, it's kind of tricky, right? Because when you're running out of DDR, it feels like it just gets a little slower and then slower. And it's an exponential slowness increasing. Like, it gets way worse the more you go over it. Mm -hmm. But it is paging to an SSD and trying to make up for it. With VRAM, it tends to be, at least I'm noticing, games and some professional apps I use. If you have an 8-gigabyte card, it's actually trying to use 6 so that it's fluid. And it's doing everything it can to use 6. And then it'll go, okay, we have to use 7 and then 7.5, and right around 7.5 on an 8-gigabyte card, I've noticed it goes okay at first, and then after a few minutes to an hour, it starts falling apart, and then it stops working and crashes. With DDR, it just gets slower and slower and slower, and you realize, I should close something because it's paging files too much. With VRAM, it goes from fluid to hitchy to crash. It's much worse and a jarring.
1: This is gonna make you laugh when I tell you this. So when we first learned how to start processing all these scans and putting them together, because you know most people had 16, 32 gigs in a, in a machine, the actual person that was training I me, mean, this was back in 2011, 2012, the way they explained it to me, and God bless Ro, she was awesome. She, uh, she'd be like, all right, so what you're gonna do is you're gonna put all this in, get it compiled, click this button, and then you're gonna get up and go get yourself a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. and then come back and check on it. And if it's not done, maybe go hang out with your friends for another five or 10 minutes. Um, The explanation that I like to use is once you hit that hard cap, once you get over that number of scans, the actual, when you press the button, click and wait, it will go from
0: literally minutes to finish something to sometimes hours very quickly. Right, and so you'll go get, and I I dealt with people in the automotive industry who were, because I was in the sales side, but there are people doing the AutoCAD work. And the thing that sucks is they might start something Go get that cup of coffee, or go to the bathroom. Like you know, they do all this work. It's like, well, I'll go to the bathroom once it starts rendering or exporting or something. And then when they come back, it's twenty point mi- percent done. Are you going to break the export? No. And so you're like, oh, I guess I got freaking forty five minutes to kill. Jesus.
1: Oh, we've had we've had days where that happens, and even to this day, I mean, with some of our larger projects and larger files, we still have that. Um, I just rendered a a where i compiled an old project with a new project to do a a, an overlap and the creation of the final densified point cloud took 63 hours Mm -hmm. and it's something like 12 billion points total but it's actually going through every individual scan and comparing it back and forth the only way to fix that more memory more memory bandwidth um that was actually one of the biggest slowdowns of of you know, the Zen process, the early Zen processes that we learned was that that memory uh, latency penalty that we were experiencing there, it almost felt like it was an exponential set-off to it, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of crazy. Like, to see an eight-core laptop that would do something in, I don't know, you'd, I used the reference 25, 30 minutes, and then to see a 32-core Zen product, you know, come in here, and it takes with the same amount of RAM on board. So one had 128, the other had 128. And the eight core laptop finished, like I said, 20, 25 minutes, the 32 core, 28, 30. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me again. Um, just all, all the, and the way software interacts. The one thing that I've kind of, and I've actually been really proud and, and you know I've made some comments on LinkedIn to some of the guys that are sharing it. I'm impressed to see where AMD has been going recently and actually mm. getting involved more with those software vendors, the SolidWorks of the world, the, uh, the Catia's and those kind of folks. And they're actually getting with them and saying, hey, what's it, what's it going to take to get this stuff optimized? You know, our drivers are now mature enough. We're not, you know, this isn't the old AMD of, of 2019, 2017 kind of timeframes where the drivers are mm-hmm. garbage to come out with now we're mature we got everything working
0: smoothly when we launched this i think they even have like more test computers than nvidia does (laughs) for some of their products Mm -hmm. like trying to make sure stuff's rock solid so they're like what what do we need to do and so
1: they're now they're getting into the back pockets of some of these software vendors and saying hey let's optimize because at this at that point that's the code basis for some of these i mean i'll use the software that i've i'm considered a subject matter expert on which is autodesk inventor the base code. Goes, I used that in high
0: school, actually, in college, too. Yeah,
1: So did I. That's how I. I started on it when I was in the seventh grade, and I've used it as long as some of the folks when you develop the testing procedures for it that had been there for 30 years with Autodesk. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation that I go with that is that base code, the parametric base code to it, it hasn't changed since mm. inception almost in 2000, 1999, 2000. And so there's all the little quirks here and there that they can optimize, but convincing a a company that's ingrained and we don't want to change the base kernel mm-hmm. to how do we take the base kernel, but figure out some, you know, slippery optimizations here that can pick up performance where we need it to. That's kind of and because the funny thing to me is when you look at a lot of modeling software especially the parametric ones that you'll use out there the the fusion 360s inventor solidworks some of the catias out there they they really don't care about the total number of cores when you're actually working with it right. and and this kind of gets to something too with with gpus as far as my whole gpu is as you know a complete unit if i had you know a a 3060 but i had you know 48 you know gigs of RAM and that, that's going to perform the same to me as a eight to 6,000 in a lot of cases.
0: I think, I think NVIDIA knows this, and I think they know that because they have this software advantage, they're cemented in the market, that 48 gigabytes is cutting it, and that the real thing that's going to make everyone upgrade next-gen is 96 gigabytes. And if they give you 96 gigabytes now, everyone's probably still going to buy them anyways right now. So why do it now? I think that's... But, but, you know, the one thing that might cause a lot more problems for them, I think, are these mega APUs that I've started leaking on the channel because, you know, we, we can talk about how they're limiting these 256-bit graphics cards and, and, and 128-bit ones, certainly, uh, to small amounts of GDDR6. It's not an issue if you can just give a 256-bit bus that uses normal RAM to an APU I guess I don't know for sure, or at least not off the top of my head, but I have no reason to doubt that Strix Point, or especially Strix Halo with a 256-bit bus, should easily be able to get to 256 gigabytes of RAM, at least 128 gigabytes in a laptop, and... Oh, it's just RAM. And and I guess I don't know for sure. They won't limit how much VRAM it has access to in there because that actually is a thing I've noticed playing with a lot of APUs is technically up to allocate it, which is weird to me. I thought they're going to go unified since Kavari. I actually don't know what that's all about. But I think they're not dumb. I'm imagining they will know we should make sure this can use like 64 gigs of RAM for the GPU part of it and stuff. So I I guess this gets me to a question here. Chris Rich writes in and he asks, I believe that most of NVIDIA's volumes and laptops... um, that most of Nvidia's volume is currently going to laptops. That AMD doesn't seem to be making much inroad there. However, with Meteor Lake causing OEMs to stop using lower-end discrete GPUs, followed by Strix Point, Strix Halo, and then Arrow Lake, do you guys expect to see a big change in market share in the next two years for low-end gaming laptops? Uh, how receptive do you expect consumers to be to APU gaming? So let's. We'll come back to gaming, but you know, I've already we already know that Phoenix is basically sixteen fifty performance. Uh, and we uh, I have a chart that I've leaked a million times now that shows projections from AMD that Strix point should be 3050 performance, and that so that's like 1070 performance, which is funny to think about. And then Strix Halo should be 4060 uh or 40 even 4060 Ti desktop performance, just about 3070 performance. Okay, except you can use 128 gigabytes of RAM. So I guess my question is 1650, 3050. Forty sixty is what where is the break point for you? Because Meteor Lake's gonna be sixteen fifty Ti, I believe. Do you think Phoenix is enough now? I mean, could you do it with Phoenix now? Do you think that extra ten to twenty percent from Meteor Lake will add to it? Thirty fifty, or do you think it actually needs to be at least forty sixty, forty seventy performance? And then it doesn't matter that these other GPUs are so much stronger. I'll just take the one twenty eight gigabytes of RAM.
1: So and I'll go ahead and tell you the other factor of that is I'm not even thinking 128. I'm thinking 192 because 48 gig dims now, thankfully. Um, but what I will say is this is uh, I had a, f- a friend of mine do a comparison test and actually ran. Um, do you remember the Ice Lake quad cores? Not Ice Lake? Yeah, Ice Lake quad cores, the like 1155Gs yeah. that had the.
0: That was Tiger Lake, but yeah, is the ten is the 10. 65 g7 it's so ridiculous i remember that stuff off the top of my head and i can't remember other important things but yeah right. go on
1: so the tiger lake version as he was doing a test on with the extra execution units extra execution units on board already mm-hmm. and being able to allocate you know regular system ram to it was performing on par with you know machines that had much larger gpus and this was Three, two, three three generations ago so i am not so concerned about the actual physical gpu hmm. performance almost like if you had an mx 450 but if it had 120 access to the whole 128 gigs of ram yep. that that to me is like that's all i need you you'll and like you said there there will be that will be from the from a performance setting you will have to actually and this will be kind of amazing to people to know but there are actual settings inside of modeling softwares and inside of uh Uh, reality capture softwares where you can turn down your physically the viewport how you're viewing things Mm -hmm. so it'll it'll change shadows and ambient lighting it'll change you know color tones and smoothness and things like that so you might have to cut those down to you know going from quality to performance mode Mm -hmm. but you'll still be able to manipulate the, the model manipulate the point cloud manipulate the meshes all the same with a much lower end gpu as long as you have access to the frame buffer. And enough of it. Oh, it'll. I like. I. I could see that as being game changing. It could be something that would make my my world start to all of a sudden be like, hey, now we have a lot more battery life in what we're actually using.
0: Well, so I just actually looked it up. So Ice Lake, uh, the CPU you're talking about. Uh, it had access to 64, it could access 64 gigabytes of RAM. So that was its limit. Phoenix, apparently, uh, according to AMD's website, goes up to 256 gigabytes. So I have no reason to not believe that Strix Halo right now, at least in the right configuration, it's 256-bit. This is 128-bit. I have no reason to believe Strix Halo won't go to at least 512 gigabytes. It wouldn't surprise me if it went higher, you know, two terabyte. And I'm kind and of curious as to how they're getting there
1: because but well, you know what i mean these are I all i think you'd have to use remote. four
0: dims you'd have to have one of those laptops that allows that you know which they use they do sometimes but you know yeah, I miss those days. And, and and I have no reason to believe that. And, and, and let's be honest here. I think we're stating the obvious. Like AMD is designing these things. They know if they give it a, I'm sure they know if they give it a 256 bit bus that they should look into a little bit of extra effort to allow more. Because you could sell laptops that have eight DIMMs and go up to a terabyte storage or something that's a market no one else is addressing right now. And yeah, there you, so there you go. I think, you know, Strix Halo is going to offer at least 256, of course. It's the same as Phoenix, most likely 512 gigabytes. And I have no reason to believe it won't. They couldn't, if they wanted to, make it a little more. And that's going up to desktop 4060 Ti or 3070 performance. And that's what's funny because I was just thinking about this. So the actual JDEX spec now for
1: DDR5, the dims actually increase they double once again so you know we went from 8 to mm-hmm. 8 to 32 with uh, DDR4 and then now we're going to go from 32 with DDR4 to 128 i believe actually oh no yeah 128 we'll get up to 128 gig dims uh so multiplication of 4 technically um mm-hmm. but we'll get up to 128 gig dims so if you had four 128 gig dims they're basically future proofing this thing yeah they're, they're saying we expect to see someone put four 128 gig DDR5, SODIMM or whatever it ends up being. Um, you know, maybe they put it in like a desktop performance where it's got like actual physical DIMMs. That that and that to me, like you said, that's where performance will you know finally meet the roadhead for a lot of folks that are are looking for it. You know,
0: professionally to be able to do the things that they want to do. Yeah, and I was just looking to, um, I none of the Documents that I have from people at AMD say how much RAM Strix Halo supports, but again, Phoenix supports two fifty six gigabytes according to AMD's website. So why something with double the bus width wouldn't be at least five twelve would be beyond me. But so I guess let's let's drill into the question though. Meteor Lake is like sixteen, you know, Phoenix is sixteen fifty, Meteor Lake sixteen fifty ti, and Strix will be thirty fifty, and then Strix Halo will be forty sixty to forty seventy which one of those does it really matter? Like, would you consider just going straight to meteor like that or Phoenix now? Like, is that enough already for you?
1: I'd probably want to wait on slightly more performant cores, uh, on mm-hmm. top of it. Uh, Strix really has my eye. Actually, I'm not going to lie.
0: Uh, um, like Strix point, the sixteen fifty, the 3050 one that has four Zen five and eight Zen five C.
1: Yep. That, that Strix point kind of set up and, 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 and you know, Meteor Lake makes a lot of sense, but it's it's at the and the thing to me with Meteor Lake when you think about it is it's still gonna be a very power sipping package. The same thing goes for Strix Point and, and and you know Phoenix
0: is that way as well. But to you me You know, I don't the, know if you'll care about this. I I haven't um leaked it yet. It's kind of public knowledge, but I don't think anyone spelled it out yet. My understanding is Meteor Lake has six big cores, eight little cores, and then two more little cores on the SOC die. That way, when it's idling, it can turn off the CPU tile and supposedly get, like, I don't I don't know how much battery life that's going to allow in some scenarios, but I thought I'd throw that at you where uh, you're trying to make this decision. Now, to be fair, I have no reason to believe Strix won't have its own tricks for saving power. It's a year away. So, but I'm wondering what you think about that, too.
1: I'll say this. So, some of the software we use in the field, so on top of the reality capture stuff, we do a lot of high-precision surveying, for lack of a better word, and... When you're running that software, it's literally, all right, the computer's telling the device, shoot that point, measure it, and then tell me the distance. That doesn't take, like, I mean, we've been doing that on the same kind of software back to i3s from 2008. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't need hardcore, you know, powerful computer to tell it to do something like that. That kind of thing, that actually might be a tipping point for that one. I mean, if that's if that's the case, I bit. don't
0: know if it'll be able to disable it while you're doing that, though. I don't know for sure. I think it's mostly for like going into sleep mode, literally yeah, doing nothing. I think it's also I've been told to delineate tasks between tiles. So it's kind of like they said, We've got a lot going on. We're going to add two backup cores. Just, we're good. Like, these are true. And these are, I, I'm not, to be, and to be clear what I mean, I'm not even sure if you run Cinebench, you can use all of them at once. Like these might literally be for deep backup stuff. Yeah. That
1: makes sense. Like I said, Timmy, like I said, the two between, it's the competition between Meteor Lake and Strix Point still are going to be, you know, I, I'll go ahead and put it to you this way. I'll probably end up buying laptops for, you know, myself and and employees that will have both. Mm-hmm. Um, Hardware agnostics is a a point that I like to stick to as much as possible.
0: Right. If people need it now, you'll get Meteor Lake next year. If it's better, eh, we'll just go straight to Strix, and then Strix Halo will be like the true workstation on the go.
1: Mm-hmm. Just keep, yeah, keeping up with the Joneses to make sure that whatever. Because I mean, it's kind of weird to say it this way, but you know the the explosive growth that we've had in the industry started to see recently for us. It's like I feel like every six months I'm turning around going, Gosh, I gotta buy. Six new eight thousand dollar laptops because I've got to put them in the hands of six new employees. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's with the growth the way that it is the industry industry wide, it's not going to stop for us that way. So we're we're not like I said. Truth be told, we we're just whatever's the best available at the time. That's kind of how we have to roll.
0: Um, the, I guess the final question I would have on this though is, you said the best at the time. But still, there is this inflection point of, well, now it's good enough. Is Phoenix good enough now, having access to 256 gigabytes and being 90% the integrated performance of meteor Lake? Because I think meteor Lake CPU will be better in performance, I mean. But Phoenix is, you know, 8 Zen 4 cores. It's not bad. If I were to start making that transition today, absolutely. It would be where it's already there, but if you can wait and you might need to might as well use meteor. Like, okay. And,
1: and the point, like I so said, the point that I make now is like, I've got a process for getting what we have that uh, this actually might tie into something later on, but we'll, I'll, I'll make the point. Now the flip side to that is the vendors that we go with. Cause so utilities kind of pigeonhole themselves into working with certain, you know, OEMs and that OEM has to offer it. And unfortunately, the one that we work with the most doesn't seem to have a very big liking for AMD for some reason. Okay. Yeah. And I, I like said, I wish I had more opportunities to do things like that. It's kind of weird though, that like, cause, and I will say it this way, like we don't purchase machines in the same way that the rest of the enterprise does. Uh, people in our industry can't because you buy those little, well, I call them the thin and light cheapos that are just basically for, you know, Joe Schmo, who's needing to run Excel and check his email. Um, with what we're doing, we actually have to go out and custom order everything every time we do it. Mm-hmm. And because of that, like I said, we still kind of get pigeonholed into the vendor.
0: But right.
1: i you know, that's kind of where I look at that. This is not new that. to me.
0: I've worked at several large, you know, companies. It's always, there's a bit of something there with that. I mean, I worked at a, I'm going to be honest, you'll find this funny. Um, When I worked at GM, I think they used a mix of Dell and HP actually. But then when I worked at an automotive supplier that was a German company, I was like, why do we always use HP? And I was like, I don't mind HP. I kind of like HP, but why HP? Like, oh, they're also a German company. and <laughs> We're German. So that, look, I'm going to be honest, Tom, that Germans buy German stuff. That's what's going on that's kind of unique and what's funny to me though is we get
1: told we can't buy a certain brand because it's connected to a a certain government entity and I'm not going to you know name names to say anything but what's comical to me is you go to you know the next largest utility company two states over and all of a sudden
0: yeah we're going
1: to buy that because it's cheaper Mm -hmm. and I'm like okay this doesn't make any sense guys well
0: we'll see if you know the the f- sky falls for them then i guess but it, it probably won't jesse here loves sticks but it definitely wouldn't be healthy if i just let her chow down on them all the time as much as she would like to the same is usually true for reasonably priced instant meals for humans it's easy to feel stuck looking for something that's quick to cook tasty healthy and cheap all at the same time well unless you consider vite ramen this piece of content is sponsored by vite ramen bite ramen is a healthy tasty and shelf stable food crafted by an american startup that offers a ton of options for eating healthy like their classic packages that make it easy for you to add protein and other ingredients of your choice to make a complete hearty meal Or their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, whether at the office or at home. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on a variety of different products, including special bundles just for Moore's Law's Dead fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, and other food products, cooking utensils, and more. And when you order this spring, know that Vite just shut down for three months and relaunch their entire operation to improve speed customer service and just to improve things in the back end so they can keep up with how popular their product has become supporting them helps support me and even just clicking on the link below makes a big difference but I really do like their product and I recommend it so if you're hungry for something that's healthy cheap and easy to make check out Vite Ramen and use offer code broken silicon today Um, QH Freddy writes in and he asks, I've always been skeptical about the viability of a mega APU with a 256 bit memory interface because of how many extra pins it adds on the package, causing it to not be that viable as a low end product. But AMD seems to be having a go with it at this point. So anyways, do you think AMD is just testing the waters or optimistically throwing Strix Halo out there because gamers actually want it? Do you think it will sell well? Where do you think it will find itself outside of the premium, ultra thin gaming laptop category it was designed for? You think it can really be cheap enough to find its way into budget laptops? I mean, honestly, the more I talk to you today, I think Strix Halo AMD is boneheaded if they don't brand the top model as threadri- mobile Thread Mobile Threadripper. I mean, come on, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, it's it's kind
1: of funny. Yeah, just just looking at AMD in the past. 12 months. And I think you hinted at it in a previous video, even Tom, I kind of laugh when I look at it and I go, it feels like the old, you know, house MD quote, where we're going to throw all the Advil at the, in the mouth and whatever sticks, that's the dosage, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're going to, and at least in consumer, you know, in, in server and in HEDT or whatever, you know, professional, they're kind of sticking to their guns to stay in a certain way. But to me, as i look at it the more and more i see it i go hmm this this seems a wee bit funny to me like there's got to be a reason why all of a sudden we're seeing this this plethora of extra coming out on the consumer side because they
0: which like is in that Strix the Halo here. leak. I You know, what was so crazy about that Strix Halo leak I put out wasn't just that there's Strix and Strix Halo, but there's also Escher, Kraken, Hawkpoint. There's like a d- dozen different APUs apparently coming in two years. So they're, the, I, I, they're making a play is what I would say to QH Freddy here. They're making a play. And I would also suggest that every one of those APUs you see on that roadmap, you know, because like Strix Halo kind of just directly competes with a you know, Strix point plus graphics card thing, but yeah, but they know they can maybe put a terabyte of Ram on this thing and sell it as a mobile Threadripper, And they know that Hawk point might be used for this and Strix point might be used in embedded. They have all these different things. They might like Strix Halo is probably a, a, an embedded, like, and they're dominating embedded right now. So I would say QH Freddie, I don't, AMD is going to sell it to gamers and I actually disagree that it's going to be that much more expensive because anything they're adding to the silicon there is going to be saved in having to cool only one die. You know, only have only having to design a board with one socket on it. Like, there's a lot of money they're going to save, uh, not having to put a bunch of VRAM on the board around it. Just put in some RAM. It's going to save money, I think, in a lot of spaces. Um, uh, but but at the same time, I think there's so many other markets they can sell this to that it, I don't I don't think it's just about gamers. I I mean, Ivy, you you
1: made some mentions of things. I mean, obviously, it might not happen this generation, but I think you could potentially even see it finding its way into automotive and whatnot, you know, Mm -hmm. five, six years down the road, because imagine a a slick, tripped out vehicle or, you know, things like that that have all this performance that's now on the, whatever they call that mature node, the one that's always like four generations behind current, but.
2: Mm-hmm. that to me yeah. seems
1: like something where you're all of a sudden now you're going to see these these products that are designed for this plethora of things find their way into other products we weren't thinking about five years from now mm-hmm. imagine your refrigerator with Strix halo in it
0: <laughs> oh my god you could play crisis um <laughs> but no but on the on the like what they joked about tesla's having navi 23 in them and it's like but then they also have to have a cpu Yeah, who's to say eventually Tesla's... Because remember, Strix Halo a CPU chiplets. Who's to say they don't just put a six-core CPU plus a cut-down version of the GPU and they just send all those to Tesla or something? Like, AMD is giving themselves options, but each one of these options clearly does a few things crazy well their old stuff just couldn't do. Oh, absolutely. Chris Rich writes in and asks, "When, if ever, do you expect to see laptop X eighty six processors with on package main memory like Apple's M series? What do you think are the main issues that need to be solved?" Uh, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think Strix Halo has it. I've seen no reason why the successor won't. Though I think AMD just iterates. We do this, then we make it do this, then we make it do. They never tend to do everything at once, and I'd be surprised if they weren't already doing this with the successor, uh, with the Zen six version. I, I kind of already start
1: thinking about Xeon Max, where it's at now. And that's probably where, you know, usually when you test out something in the server side field of things, it's, you know, usually three or five years behind, it starts to trickle into the consumer space. Even though server cores are always one generation behind. Um, I, I I could really see it, you know, 2028, 20, 2027, 20, sometime that kind of time frame. I mean, if, if it follows the cadence that past things have done, I could see something there. Um, but the problem, I think, is I don't think you see it in the same light.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I don't think that it's never. It, I to me, it's not main memory. It's like a. It's it's like AMD's already doing with you know VCash. It's an it's, it's a large expansion of the next line level of memory you're still gonna have some kind of RAM behind that. And maybe it's you know persistent memory, so it's more like storage then. But there's, there's not enough die space to put the kind of memory packages that you'd want, especially once you get outside of you know, consumer space where you're looking at you know 32 gigs of RAM or something like that. But when, because I mean, like I said, the, six, the four modules they have on them now in the, the Mac series is
0: up to 64 gigs. It takes up a lot of die space, does it not? I mean, I'm pretty sure it does. It takes up less space overall than trying to put a bunch of GDDR6 around it, but yeah, it, it does add it to the package itself. Like I think I forgot what it was. You, <laughs> you know, Fury X, which has the first the first yeah. GPU with HBM. You could argue, or you know, that it was like I forgot, like a 600 millimeter square die. But you could also argue it was a 1,000 because <laughs> of the HBM on there, right? So no huge, yeah. But I mean, to to me, that's the kind of thing I see. Like it's
1: it's getting that technology small enough to where it can kind of interloop and and interlace in between the two things. But even like I said, it's it's more like a next level. What um, what was the thing they talked about with um, Meteor Lake potentially having like an an L four, bash was it
0: adamantine? Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, there's something like that that's potentially coming. Yes, that's not actual RAM, but if you The less you have to go to system memory, the better off you are. Mm -hmm. So any kind of a bridge to it. And I think that's where Apple just. I almost feel like Apple doesn't have like a real true L3 in the sense they have a unified memory that is all connected there. They have lots of L2, but their L3 is basically, all right, we're just going to put the system RAM so close. That's our L3 too.
0: Yeah, and you know, what is it? SK Hynix just announced a new generation of HBM3E. You know, I I think that, again, it's all about doing one thing at a time here. I think there's a chance Zen 6 has a more fundamental use for HBM for some of its products. So again, any successor to Strix would probably be waiting for that to be ready with Zen 6. And and again, again, Chris Rich, I, I think there's no reason why AMD won't eventually maybe make a 128 gigabyte unified HBM3 APU. And that thing's going to probably game like a 4080 desktop, by the way, possibly. And it has unified memory. And if you want to add more, you can, but you actually don't need to. You could make truly thin and light laptops that use almost no energy with that much memory. They will be expensive, but this is just something we don't have now. And I think someone like you... Yeah. That wishes laptops were still laptops, looks at that and goes, oh, my God, this might actually bring desktop performance to laptops that actually act like laptops. Yep.
1: That's the, the, the whole concept of a. Lowering the bandwidth to between, you know, interconnects, not having to work over PCI Express and also even better than that, it means that the actual PCI Express bus can be used for storage
0: you mm-hmm. have more storage options in that True. situation oh yeah and then and then in this mobile thread ripper situation you can just say oh remember how this has like you know 16 pcie lanes or 20 pcie lanes attached to it well yeah those are now going to be four or five gen 5 nvme <laughs> ssds instead of attached to a gpu that yeah i didn't even think about truly the potential you got right here for because i don't know how many of those lanes might be used to communicate with the uh you know, the, the chiplet of the GPU chiplet in the APU, but, but I'd still think that'd probably leave you the ability to add to NVMe gen five SSDs, at least with a successor, if they want to, Yeah, because it's, it's definitely I mean, there.
1: Well, and, and I'm wondering how Intel is going to do it. Cause I don't think Intel does it over PCI express. I think they use UPI. Mm. They, the you know, the, the proprietary bridge that interconnects their Xeon chips. They don't use, it's a different. It's kind of built like PCI Express, but it doesn't rob the PCI Express lanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know AMD's got something there. Uh, I've seen it and heard from somebody before that talked about it. I, it's, a, it's an old process that they have, but basically a lot of the, the Intel and AMD you know, APUs that you get in general, and they have an actual decent GPU there. One of the things that you're looking at is that it does. It eats up the PCI Express lanes because, like, weren't a lot of those uh, laptops that didn't even have but, like, one Gen 3 slot when they were were talking, like... I'm talking, like, two Gens ago,
0: though. Mm -hmm.
1: They didn't didn't have hardly anything from PCI Express. So, I mean...
0: I think they'd usually send eight to the graphics card and then they'd usually have two left over. And that's probably why they always only gave eight to the laptop GPU because if they did any more than that, you know?
1: Which, I mean, uh, laptop GPUs, I mean... Even I don't think that MXM's more than eight lanes.
0: Like no, if you have like no they, they've all remote basically remote. stopped at eight. It seems. I could be wrong. I'm sure there's one where it's more, but you know, I just I, I always sit back and laugh at it and go, you know, how it'd be hilarious
1: to have if we had NVLink or had something like that, and you had two GPUs in a laptop and then just some 14-watt Do You remember when
0: Lenovo did this weird thing where instead of a DVD drive, you could slot in another graphics card? And that lasted like one generation before they were like, we're not doing this again.
1: Uh, I actually had a friend with
0: one of those, and he said it never worked. The Um, the internet sucked. But uh, uh, we're talking about GPUs again in laptops, I want to switch back to this type of a question. So Chris Rich writes in again, and he says, if you were in charge of NVIDIA's consumer GPU line, what would you do? To counter the threat of AMD and Intel gaming oriented APUs pushing them out of laptops. And, you know, I broke this news with my last giant Intel, well, not my last, by the time this comes out, my lat my before this one last uh giant Intel leak, where I said Meteor Lake's basically where they're they're done with pretty much they said anything below a 4060. It's not to say Meteor Lake, you know, Meteor Lake's about as good as a 1650 TI. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, compared to even a forty fifty, I mean, what, we're looking at a third to half the, probably half the performance or something. But they also save money not buying an NVIDIA GPU, cooling an NVIDIA GPU, and then they get half the performance, but they get double the battery life. And from their perspective, they're like, well, we're just marketing here. Do we want to market a 10-hour battery life and forty fifty performance, or do we want to market 1650 Ti performance and a 20-hour battery life that beats the MacBook? That's what they think, and and again, remember the option with the more battery life costs less. So, yeah. and and Meteor Lake is the start of a new platform. Aerolake uses the same base die. Uh, I'm pretty sure Panther Lake will as well. So we're we're looking at a situation where they're like, also, if we design our laptops around this, this is going to be everything Intel's making for a while. And then, and meanwhile, we look at Strix Halo. You can see AMD's <laughs> done oh. with NVIDIA GPUs in their laptops <laughs> soon. But like what would you do if you were in video or what would you advise they do to try to stop this is there anything they can do it's the king for the day scenario and i i i I pondered this for a hot minute after you sent this
1: over for me to look at i I think really if because and and we keep talking about how you know when you go back to look at things how Nvidia is you know the evil greedy king with all this margin that they're making and whatnot and and they're charging it but yet I tend to sit back and go you know i understand why there's a need to, to recoup your R and D costs i get that i have to deal with it personally myself mm-hmm. so i look at it and go if i if i were in video where i would be you know king for the day and, and making the changes the things that i would probably change is from an apu perspective one it's i'd actually focus more on professional and maybe mm-hmm. even start you know from the even from the 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 Desktop side of things, start and launch your your professional cards six, eight months ahead of time and use that massive amount of extra, you know, revenue you bring in on them to do all these things such that you can drop your margins on the back end and let your G4 stuff that, that your low and mid range G4 things fall by, you know, 20, 25 percent and basically save the consumer 20 to 25 percent across the board on GeForce, that's 4090 all the way down to you know 4050 ti and, and so on and so forth and realistically the ultimate statement to it you've got to drop the 1650 t- type card i mean if it's not a 4050 you know mm. th- there's there's it's you're, we're, we're to the point where like i said from a perspective from a professional perspective Intel, AMD, all of them, they still have to put professional GPUs in for the driver support Mm -hmm. because enterprises require that. That's something that a lot of people don't recognize and realize is that it's not just the driver support, but it's the five-year warranty associated with it. So if the card fails literally, you know, in 2028 and you bought it today, it's under warranty because Mm -hmm. it's designed to run that long. So you're getting that, that's the kind of thing, that's really what you're, Paying for, I hate that term because you're not. But the thought that I have behind that is, is the low end gaming side of things from an APU perspective. I would actually start trying to work with Intel and maybe find a way into their tile system. You know, become <laughs> become a part of the APU. Laugh.
0: An NVIDIA contact told me that they're they they might try to uh, recently. So it would make they, sense. And everyone listening to this, I, I have no concrete plans of that happening, but. I think right now what NVIDIA is hoping, well, for multiple reasons, is that Intel's GPU division truly gets axed. And if it does get axed, they can just worm right in and go, we'll make a tile for you. Remember when you did that with Vega? We'll, we'll make a tile for you. I think that's what Intel, NVIDIA is really hoping happens here. And, you know, I'd I'd go as far as to say whether or not Intel's tile, I mean, you know, whether or not Intel acts as more of their discrete officially ever admits it like you know like they're gonna keep making GPU tiles probably forever but like whether or not they downsize their investment into their GPUs or not if I was Nvidia I'd probably try to be bidding for that anyways I'd be coming in there and going hey we're not AMD what you show us on roadmaps we're not gonna we, we we're not competing with your CPU uh-uh. so there's no worry here uh, and, and then if you're in video, you, you might go, and by the way, like you're not competing with us in GPU, it doesn't really matter what you tell us you're making. Um, and go, Hey, what's, what are you putting in Panther? Like, let us make a sixty fifty that integrates into your tile stack. Now, even if you don't go with us, let us design it and bid for the contract. And if we can make something twice as well as you can, why? I mean, do you hate money? You know, Xboxes use used Blu-ray players from Sony. Who cares? Right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've, and I've got one better for you
1: so consider that as well so you know you're looking at like a 1650 or something like that for a a tile there but also look at like the a1000 type or the a a2000 type tile for a workstation because i i will say this outside of outside of nvidia in the in the mobile market the one downside to things that I still can't understand is that in the mobile market, AMD doesn't have a workstation that's above like the sixty four hundred
0: mm-hmm. mobile. Um, I might
1: have had a 6,500. It's probably
0: because they know no one's going to buy it over NVIDIA and a high end laptop, or that's their suspicion. But, but to me, like I said, I mean, you've got the more efficient design. You've got the more
1: you've got already got the great CPU cores to work with. There's no reason you couldn't plop in a. 7,700 M or 7,800 M and just basically take the, almost take the exact die and cut it and not necessarily cut it down, but basically just say, let's just drop the power usage on it to 150 Watts. Slow, like I said, because once again, from a, from a professional workflow, the actual GPU means a lot less than the VRAM. So if you cut, if you cut the power usage down, that's not going to really affect your performance. It's just going to affect your, you know, your overall power usage. So I mean if you can get a a more powerful version of like even the 7900, you know, W7900. They they have 48 gigs. How would I love how much I would love to see AMD put a 48 gig mobile workstation card in before Nvidia. I would love it just to laugh at it. Just to be it'd be like the ultimate, you know, screw you to Nvidia after after four or five generations of 16 gigs being the best they could mm-hmm. do. And, I mean, I'm sure it could be done by front and backing dies and, and, you know, things like that. Just to, it would obviously not be, it couldn't be a standalone card, but if you're putting it with your AMD CPU, usually those aren't like a daughter board. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the one thing people kind of miss is like when Dell or HP or Lenovo or Box or any of those people that make their own laptops come out and design these things. Most of the GPUs that are discrete have some kind of a daughter board or are the MXN variety. They're not usually soldered onto the same board all the time, especially not for the higher-end ones, because as they build like a higher-end i9 machine or a R9 machine, then you want to be able to have the flexibility to just say, okay, we want to put these different options of GPUs. We're going to make this main board with a bunch of i9s. We're going to make this main board with a bunch of R9s, but we don't want to have to guarantee that we got to solder this chip on at the same time. So you see that a lot more often in the upper ends of, of those things. So because you're AMD and once again, right now with, you know, Strix, you know, Halo and all the other products coming out, you could kind of throw that at the wall and, and honestly watch it stick and stick well.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think though, to move forward though, with the previous question, I, I mean, all right. So I think we both know the best thing NVIDIA can do is make the best professional cards so they keep the top laptops and try to get into a tile design <laughs> with yeah, yeah. 100%. Intel. 100%. I would say with Intel and AMD, but AMD doesn't need them. No. Um. All right. If they can't get into the tiles, though, do you think there's really anything they can do to... I mean, I, they've already told me they're basically done with MX cards. Do you think there's anything they can do to save the 50 and 60 class? Because I think that's next to get out of here in a year realistically i don't think they care
1: mm-hmm. i mean once again if i'm CP- if i'm ceo for the day I, I don't really care about that either that's not my high margin product and most people that are going to buy a, i, I i've always kind of been wary of that i always thought that like because like the surface pros and the uh I'm trying to think of some other options and, and examples some of those some of those cards that are out there you know that are just are automatically integrated with integrated GPUs, even though they're not like a mega APU per se, they do more than enough because the person that's buying, I like to make this as the standard quote and, and reference I, I go back to, especially from a, a, especially from a workstation perspective, the normal consumer that's buying something isn't doing, you know, heavy duty gaming. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to get into gaming and you're like, okay, like a 4060 TI maybe end up. And and focus on that, but the actual like 4060 feet. 40, okay, unless you're going to give me a forty sixty with twelve gigs, you know, over forty sixty Ti with eight,
0: you know, yeah.
1: unless you're going to do something to to sweeten that pot. Unless you're going to let
0: me get a fifty sixty laptop with sixteen gigs for a grand. Yeah. Why would I get this? I'm not mm-hmm. getting it for two. You know,
1: and especially as the like I said,
0: as the APUs
1: get better. Mm -hmm. then, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at a much longer longevity to your, you know, your market. And once again, you're saving that power budget because ultimately you, you, me, John Q consumer, when we're buying those, those, you know, $1,200 and less laptops, it's so that we can put it in a, put it in a bag, get on a plane, fly somewhere and do most of what we do. If we game on it, okay, we're going to cut down to low settings because we're looking at a 13 as inch long as it's in 60
0: though uh, yeah. whatever
1: yeah, yeah. it's, a, it's a, and it's usually a smaller screen on those laptops too mm-hmm. you're not in that 17 18 inch screen range you're in the 12 to 14 inch range mm-hmm. and harder to see so the textures don't matter as much and if you got the actual the you know 256 bit bus or a 192-bit bus tied into that card to where it can pull from, you know, system memory and you got enough system memory, you can dump more of that money into system memory and make it more
0: valuable to your customer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just funny, though. I think I agree, though, overall with NVIDIA. It's like, they want to become an AI company. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, I I go back to what you said about, like, okay, well, then be an AI company first, a professional company second, and then still try to have some set of if if you don't care as much whatever don't make 10 graphics cards for consumers make three and make them better priced so you don't lose it that's the thing i wonder though is like and and, you know this will probably come out more in like a video in a week or two but like nvidia right now is making hand over fist money and um ai i don't know that they care about gaming that much uh but at the same time you go From what I hear, this bubble in AI isn't going to pop for at least a year. Like Everyone wants Hopper now and they're getting into it. I'll be talking about that in videos. There's some crazy stories I've heard about what some companies are doing. Um, But I think in two years there could be a bubble that pops and everyone realizes, yeah, some companies need to train models on Hopper. Not all of us need to all the time. Like Once we've built the app, we're done. We don't need to buy this. Some of the companies do need to buy this every year. Some of them don't. They're buying it because everyone else is. And if nvidia's gamers gamer uh like support is gone like what ha- that's always oh, what yeah. they've fallen back on when automotive didn't pan out you know when whatever and and that's the only thing i wonder is like why don't they just you know and i think from people i've talked to they're like well we're gonna make the 40 60 300 isn't that right? no it has eight gigabytes mm-hmm. like i i just you know I, I can't help but think that of what you said of like they still should try to have you have like at least 70% of the gaming market right now on desktop. Not if you include consoles, but and it, some people think it's 80%. Like, don't lose that, though.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I agree. You know, I, I think it's funny, and I'm going to say this, because it's it's an opinion that I've had, and it's something that's come up recently, but I think the failing of Arc as a whole, not necessarily that it's failed yet, but the, the, the process of the failing was, and AMD and NVIDIA both have recognized this over the years, is realistically from a margin perspective, you don't make your money on your gaming card. Mm-hmm. So pushing out that gaming card and, and really pushing the gaming card first, the, the pro market, they, they kind of just, they never made anything for it. Like there was never a pro card from Arc that was a high-end, you know, high. Well, they've got Plex
0: now, but no one wants it. Yeah.
1: It, and it's, it's, it doesn't even have a, uh, most of those don't even have video outs on them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, from a, from a, Oh, right.
0: Yeah. So for like visualization stuff, like they got nothing.
1: Yeah. From a, from a, from a professional, you know, trying to get into the engineering and uh, the architecture engineering construction industry, you're really looking at like, it's hard. Like, so once again, from an enterprise enterprise perspective, it's really hard to say, okay, I'm going to go buy this gaming card that's not going to back me up for four or five years. But if they had said, okay, let's make arc pro, and and offer the arc pro card and even if they just did it at double the price mm-hmm. and you know or, or or even triple the price because 350 bucks for an a770 with eight you know 16 gigs if you did triple the price but gave us 16 gig or gave us 32 gigs of ram you're, I, you know, and then gave us you know solid drivers and and warranty support behind that i think there would have been enterprises all over the world going hey we can we can it's one less because I don't know if you ever got to experience this but whenever you set up machines for you know enterprise corporations you you create the image for them all and Mm -hmm. as you build the driver stacks for them the less things you have to build the better Mm -hmm. you automatically have to get a driver for your igpu no matter what but if the igpu driver also drives an art card at the same time which they do that's one less driver you have to add in which means that the the design team building that image for Mm -hmm. thousands of machines automatically
0: has a, a leg up mm-hmm. yeah and I, i've been testing some uh intel nux and yeah i mean all their integrated graphics use the same driver download as alchemist it does i will say they also have the same issues in battlefield oh god yeah. it's crazy to me even though they've been using the same integrated graphics since tiger Lake, so they've had what three years to make this thing work i mean jesus but I uh, it's it's comical I, I actually bought my own art
1: card just because i wanted to be able to say i had one and, and could play with it and it's still i mean like i said it's not a as a as a non primary driving card so i always have to have two cards in whatever desktop that i have personally because i run my main monitor on my main main gpu and then everything else runs on the secondary one and so as a secondary card i can get behind an art card that's that's not trying to play the game that's just trying to You know display the web page that i'm looking at to my left to make sure i can see what i'm looking at or something like that you know that's that's kind of an easy solution for them and it also has you know av1 code you know the av1 encoder and that kind of stuff that you know secondary tasks Mm -hmm. it really was kind of designed for that you Mm -hmm. know not gaming though yeah no (laughs) god no it it, it was a flop on that side
0: Uh, and i don't i don't want to like beat a dead horse here but i just want to point this out guys The integrated graphics Intel's had three years to build drivers for in Tiger Lake still can't really run Battlefield well. Why would I believe Alchemist will three years after it comes out if they can't do it with Tiger Lake?
1: And the same thing's going to be for Celestial because I don't think they're doing Battle Mage anymore?
0: Well, I'm not going to give away what one of my upcoming videos is, Uh, but they're doing it. It's in Meteor Lake. There's probably going to be at least one card, maybe two, but they've axed half of the lineup for it yeah
1: that feels best like case scenario of it's
0: just like alchemist
1: basically yeah it makes sense it it, it truly does i mean it, it just i just i keep thinking about it too i mean just the, the the ball that was dropped there i mean the opportunities we had to have a but to finally have a good third partner actually do i have it laying around here because i can make you oh, laugh. I, do.
0: I have i have a special one I, like i said i have an art Let's card see if you beat my special one though you might because i know you know you actually work with these companies oh okay well you have that i have dg1 (laughs) yeah you got me beat there i i I have a
1: plethora of old gpus laying around so i I get people that go why do you have all this stuff i don't know i just you know i can't sell it so collect it why not matter of Um, fact i have my sandy bridge cpu sitting behind me in the little plastic casing.
0: All right, I got, when it comes to CPUs, I think one more question here before I wrap it up because we are recording this pretty late and I do feel myself falling asleep. Plus I haven't had dinner. So like I've just been working for 12 hours without eating. So Uh, Kato writes it and and, and he says, hi, I'd like to hear the guest opinion on Intel's e-cores. Do they cause any problems in your applications and would you rather choose 8 plus 16 e-core or just p-core? Because with slightly higher higher cost, Uh, configuration, all other things being the same. Yeah, you know, I built an i5-12600K system for my uh, girlfriend's sister. Seems to run fine. I got a Raptor Lake i7 right here for testing stuff. Never had an issue. Um, I think I haven't. There were a couple apps where I'm like, I think this is using the e-cores, but, you know, the e-cores are still almost as fast as Skylake, kind of, with more latency. But, you know, I've never used them for professional work. I've never edited on a system with e-cores. I've never tried to do anything crazy. And I have thought that to myself, like in the future, should I stick to, because I talk to people and they say, in professional, we're going to keep HEDT besides Sierra Forest and then Clearwater Forest and so on and so forth. There's a reason we're 24 cores, all Golden Cove. There's a reason we're keeping all big cores and professional and HEDT right now. Uh, is there a good reason for that? Do you, do you have any problems with e-cores? Well, I'll I'll start with a statement and finish with the, the question that I
1: like to ask of people, which is this. The statement I have is actually, so the 13900K I have in the system that I'm sitting here talking to you on right now, it uh, nearly doubles the performance of the 18-core 4i9-1090XE mm-hmm. I had in and, and professional applications, nearly double. Um, The question that I have to people is, do losing those e-cores, you know, is losing those e-cores, or but gaining the additional, you know, instruction sets that having all P-cores have matter to you. So it's kind of double-edged sword to me. So like I, like for me, all P-cores means I get AVX512 back. All P-cores means I get, you know, some of the new, Newark uh, instruction sets from VNI that, that make more sense from an AI perspective, um, which is rapidly being integrated into the field mm-hmm. that we work in. And so, yes, I would prefer to have all PCORs, but if I'm looking at a system that's going to be a blended system, you know, something that's, like I said, my personal, you know, what I'm going to do with 24-7, 365, e ecores to me, they work just fine. I'm actually kind of surprised how well they work. <laughs> of course, I never did try it on windows 10. So I don't know how that, that worked. I've always been a windows 11 insider. So I kind of get to play. Yeah, with Every
0: eCore system I built is windows 11 so far. So
1: I, I haven't, so I haven't seen a lot of hiccups that some people say as far as gaming goes. Oh man. Um, the ADA RTX 6,000, I have hooked up to this thing and uh, Microsoft flight simulator, ultra graphics, Oh, it's it's pretty. Uh, I can mm-hmm. I can get almost uh, almost eighty frames per second uh, on a on a standard thirty four inch ultra wide. So it's the fourteen forty by 38, 3840, something like that. But your e, e cores don't really cause a problem no. for this or anything. But I mean, I, th- I think from a gaming and most consumer perspective, like eight p cores. If you, the e cores are there for the background test, I mean, mm. I mean, because if, if we can go back to the whole R seven, you know. Uh, 78, you know, 7700X or whatever, 7800X, it's only got eight, eight cores, you know? To me, a, a, a chip like that, you know, you don't need
0: 12 cores. You don't need dual chiplet or anything like that. I mean, just eight cores is enough to game on. And that's such an interesting thing, too, because I think obviously going with eight big cores and 16 little allows them to win Cinebench, certainly allows them to do that. But then you got to wonder how many people are actually rendering using little cores versus a graphics card. Number one, number two, like what's going to happen if they go to thirty-two little cores, right? Which you know by the time this comes out, I'll have probably talked about publicly that it sounds like actually they may be doing again. Um, And for some people, that's good. But like, do you want thirty-two little cores for rendering on a desktop, or are you just going to buy one twenty-eight core Threadripper instead? And Oh, I'll ask you, would you rather have eight big cores and 32 little cores or 12 big cores and 16 little cores?
1: Ooh, that's, that's a very tough conversation point. I would have to say personally, um, eight and 32 would make more sense to me than 12 and 16 Than 12 and 16, because from a, from a perspective of, of, most processes that you do in most professional applications aren't hyper-threaded, they aren't mm-hmm. coded for hyper-threading very well. Um, oh, so and, this is to your specific task, yeah. I, everyone that I've ever worked with, so some of the some of the rendering applications, some of the, the 3ds maxes and, and uh, other CAD applications as well, they basically, matter of fact, there was a time when they they were telling us to go in, there was bugs and, and whatnot, where they go to make it work as fluid as possible disable hyper-threading. Mm-hmm. And, and this wasn't like 10 years ago, guys. This was like 2021. And you
0: don't have those issues with E-Cores? No, because E-Cores are all single-thread. Well, let me ask you, does this bother you? I mean, I think Granite Rapids HEDT should come out mid to late next year with eighty, at least 80 cores. They might, Who knows if they'll go give you guys more, but at least 80 cores, Redwood Cove Plus... Would you, <laughs> let me see, how do I put this then? <laughs> yeah, so here's the question, right? Would you rather have 80 all big or 64 big, 64 little? Or or even less to the other side? Because you could get to a point then where you're like 128 little and like uh, 48 big. Would you have 48 big to 128 little? Uh, yeah, to 48 big, to 128 little. I'll make that statement with, with ease. Because, that's interesting because most professionals I talk to don't want that, but not every professional is the same. You all have different tasks and specific applications you use.
1: And I, I always tell people that it, the, the one drawback that I would have to call to it is, is their exclusion of AVX 512 being active on the big course when you have the little course as well. If because they're tile based and, and, and arranged in a way that the tile mm-hmm. that's got all big has, you know, AVX 512 yeah. integrated able to it. As long as I can get that with that, now, if you throw AVX 512 and the other, the other instruction sets that I that we take advantage of out the window, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say all big. It's going to be the case. But then again, I'm also, once again, I'm not going to be the guy buying 80 big cores because I value clock speed pretty heavily too. So I'd rather have, you know 48 big cores and no 28 Yeah, and, and no and not even 128, I'd just rather no. have 48 big cores versus having 80 total yeah because then i can get thermally i can get a higher headroom to have a higher you know clock speed uh, higher base clock speed
0: you know so this is interesting though by the time this episode comes out a die shrink will have come out with behind the scenes information on my alder lake leaks and in preparation for that die shrink which everyone listening you can get access to if you support us on patreon on this one hour long bonus video just for patrons i actually did some questioning of some intel sources based on what people asked. One person asked about Gracemont AVX 512. And I was told it, it was planned to have it or at least be able to kind of run it well. the big cores were. And then it ran into issues running it. And then they had to make a judgment call. They're like, are we going to delay Alder Lake half a year to a year to fix Gracemont AVX 512? That's option number one. Option number two. Or we just try to program Windows so that in an AVX 512 scenario, you're running it on the big cores and anything else you can do on the little cores, but then also if you could use them for some of it at the same time and try to figure that out, or do we just disable AVX 512 on Alder Lake so we don't have to do any of this crap and then comes out on time with no issues? And they chose option number three. But they were, Gracemont had issues with it. it. They tried to give it at least the ability to run it, if not really accelerate it but it would still be better than not using it. You know what I mean?
1: And, and I think one of the things that they they modified up for, for doing that was the same thing that AMD was doing with the thread rippers and, and, and everything before that, which is basically saying, all right, we're going to take an AVX 2 256-wide bus because that's something that runs on everything and make it work and just double it up that way. And, for and, 512, yeah. And if the instruction cycles work properly, which with the ring bus the way it is, it does technically do. I mean, it, that, it's actually fairly functional. Mm-hmm. Um, the latency penalties that you had on, on you know, Threadripper, you know, prior to the pro versions, that, that kind of was a holdback there because of the latency going back and forth and actually pinging between the, the chiplets. But the actual, you know, just because it's on the ring bus and everything's quickly moving from, you know avx2 AVX 2 it's it's actually not as bad as i thought it would be um it's no replacement i can tell you that but it's doesn't hurt me that much
0: well i mean that, yeah that's pretty interesting i just think it's interesting to think that they they did try to get it to work and yeah you know i think we're going to see in raptor lake refresh the one of the reasons it's actually decently better than raptor like compared to what you would expect is probably going to be cuz there are just things in Raptor Lake that also still didn't work by the time they got ready for launch and now they do in the refresh. Um I truly wonder how much they fused off for Raptor Lake to, to do that, but yeah. Yeah, well we won't know until we get reviews, then we'll if it's 20% better we'll go, "Oh wow, imagine if Raptor Lake was 20% better, I just would have beat Zen 4." Um But, and but I I'll ask you, know, you this because, you know, had, prior to starting we had some of the fun issues
1: because I had my chip overclocked. What would if if I were to tell you that my stock bought and actually the box was half kind of crunched when I showed up? My stock bought thirteen nine hundred k, not getting up over three hundred you know ten watts total package with two GPUs that are three hundred watt on it as well, and all the things that I have on the motherboard, I was actually seeing you know six point three six point four on the top two cores four point nine on the you know, top four and five, eight across it with four, seven on all the E cores stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, Silicon's got a lot of K. It's got a lot more that it can give. Mm-hmm. And that, that, wasn't a, that wasn't a Ks. It was just a K. Yeah. But I was impressed with that. I mean, I, I was not expecting that. And I don't think I won the Silicon lottery either.
0: Well, to be fair, though, before we started, you did have to turn down settings. So it I'm was not, not lying steel. It, 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 yeah, it's, I think that's a
1: that's a USB thing that I've
0: still bothered by to this day. But, Let me give you an example though about issues though. I the one of the cool things about AMD's Fury graphics cards is for mm-hmm. some reason they just didn't lock down the BIOS at all. And that. because of that, I could just write my stable overclocks to the BIOS, flash it, and I have to download any app. I just do that for a week and just I just had a Fury a non theory awesome. you know a non x a theory that was like set to a 350 watt oh, uh, wow. tdp and it boosted to like 1100 megahertz with as much voltage as the limit would let me get to before i had issues but there was a limit and at the vo- i don't remember the number but at the voltage limit issue it actually was still stable the dvi port stopped working and i bumped it down slightly dvi worked again yeah your usb issue trust me there could oh, it's be something yeah
1: (laughs) i guarantee you it's that Uh, yeah and
0: and i looked it up online other people have had this like oh for my extreme overclocking for competitions i can't use the hdmi because it stops working (laughs) like i've seen people say stuff like that It's just like all right well i have to i wonder how safe that was long term for my theory if i would have done that but true you know it could get you that extra 10 watts if you want to and an extra one percent but then dv you can't use dvi and i had a dvi monitor and i thought well is it really worth losing an output uh for 1% yeah. performance, but yeah. I And I will say overclocking, the RAM stability thing is, I talked with Steve at Hardware Box about this. You think it's stable, then a month will go by, and all of a sudden you'll just have like a black screen once a week, and it turns out it was the RAM, I don't know. There's so many weird things to overclocking, you know? You and so just- whatever Intel's done with Raptor Lake, I'm sure those voltages at stock are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, Raptor Lake Refresh supposedly just does more with less, but we'll, we'll have to see. Absolutely. Um, but I'm starting to ramble, starting to bring up all, th- I think when yeah, I start okay. bringing up AMD Fury, that means I'm tired because uh, I just always seem to. Um, and, um, but I, you know, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, I think this is a great episode. I gave it another great insight to everybody on the channel. And I guess I ask all my guests this, so I'll ask you, is there anything you want to plug? Ooh, ah,
1: that's always the fun thing to say. I, you know, I don't like to plug a lot of people, a lot of things. I I can say this much. I, I, outside of doing this, I obviously, if you're looking at me, you're going, Hey, he's got a a nice mic stand. I get that comment in all of the meetings I have to sit there. Do you do a podcast? Actually? Yes, I do. It's a small one. It's nothing special and it focuses on physically workstation stuff, but I do it with a couple of friends of mine. Not your typical it guys want to check it out. It's on YouTube feel free
0: to it's called not your typical it you guys mm-hmm. send me a link to it as well because i knew you had a podcast but i didn't remember the name so send me a link to it and i'll put a link in the description for it as well sure absolutely not a problem. um but yeah all right so everybody check out not your typical it guys and then uh you know also make sure you're subscribed to broken silicon uh, on a podcast app of choice, give us reviews. Subscribe to Moore's as Law well as on YouTube. Uh, ring the bell button so they actually let you know when I'm posting. And then uh, you know, upvote stuff, share our content, and consider supporting us on Patreon. Like I said, a lot of stuff we're talking about with like intel behind the scenes stuff. Uh, and uh, Die Shrink 100 just came out for patrons. If you want access to that, it's just two dollars a month. Um, and otherwise, um, I think, like I said, I'm rambling. So thank you, everybody, for watching, and uh, have a good week. Absolutely. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the About slash Support page. In the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gérard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or No Sugata as well, you can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, PO Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible every month and really every day depending on who you're talking about me gerard dan and john philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out don't get us wrong we love our sponsors but we love directly working for you our fans much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Morris Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcast, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit and give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much, but like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels brad medlin drita foals z daniel d aaron close jan runner daniel hyde brian riggelman said miller mjb1 deke gz ziggy snes chalmers jim Ferriera, andrew s falcom alev general Trips, jensen wang nathan Mose, eric jackson sarcastro evan dingle greg granchek chris rich nicholas buckner benjamin cannon jonathan jesse jaskowiak 3dsplay08 albuma blake hardforum.com franco frederick Stredbird, Dr. Forbin, Jake dude 23 Jake Martin, Zlicky, Ricky Tankers, Ray Butler, Stephen Hart, Meat and Pork Stew, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Nanian, Sammy Malas, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Gross, Stefan, Jordan Simkovic, Amiable Chief, Aaron, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Ian Leaked, I Should, Mark Raidmaker, The Boss Haas, James Anderson, Cole Addict, Judson N, Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Shang, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Roger Davies, Cameron, Hexa Puma, Chrysantine, Meyer Tech Rance, Original Ari Tika Autumn Jackson Miller Frank Zielinski Neith Razink, The Eternal Dreamers JSMH Gaiman since Reagan Jeff Seller AWS Danny loophole 35 WinStar James I Raider Corey Leonard Little Jeremy Shea Milton Post Media Dave Schultz Mac Daffy Stephen Dick Chuck Glidden Brett Jones Austin Haggerty Justin Bussel, I7 700K Joe Foot Hardland Slush Boss C2 Jansen Angima Joseph Kelly Samuel Park Keith Morris Him Segung Tales 2299 Stefan Santiago. John Sifos, Ertoris, the Forbidden Juice, Venti Cz, Kiko Sado, Toka RV Racer, Sven, There Jansen, AEC, Clint Sundine, Ben, Michael Cozy, Doctor J, Matt, Alex Vega, Friede, John Swin, Rodent BC, Joey Strong, Brian Wright, Tim One K, Joe La Martina, Kikum, Elber Gunn, Solarized Eighty, Christopher Ricks, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.